Hey, it's John. Thanks for joining me once again on the Bible and Life podcast. So glad you're able to be with me on this episode. Before we jump into the details of the text of this episode, I just wanted to let you know about a couple products that maybe would be helpful to you. The first one is totally free. If you go to my website right on the homepage or you can go to johnwhitaker.net slash free resources, I will put that link down below. I have some free resources. So if you are wanting to know, man, how can I really read the Bible right? How can I really read the Bible with proper understanding and at the same time build my relationship with God? That's what I mean by reading it right, where you're understanding the text, but you're also submitting to the text and growing in your walk with God. If, if you're looking for some guidance and some help in that, I've got some free resources that should help you out. Uh, there is a short little three-part video course that'll walk you through how to read the Bible and a model how to pray through the text. There's a little two-page guide that'll give you some uh, details on how to read the Bible with proper understanding with head and how to read the Bible with your heart, how to read the Bible with connecting with God and walking with God. Uh, And then there's a Bible reading plan connected to that that'll get you really started reading the Bible in a way that's following Jesus. So some free resources right there on my website. I'll put the link down below. So if you're looking for some help just reading the Bible well and getting started reading it well, you might check that out. Another resource is this. If you are a homeschool parent, if you are a homeschool parent and you're looking for some uh, Bible teaching curriculum for your uh, your teenage kids that would really help them understand scripture, understand theology, have a practical theology of spiritual growth, then the courses on my website can really help with that. In fact, I've bundled them all together right now on my website into kind of a, a package bundle called, I'm just calling the Grow Your Faith Academy, and it's all three of my courses bundled together for uh, about less than they would be if you bought them all individually. And um, it it would be a great little resource for you to look at if you're looking for some Bible and theology curriculum for your teenage uh, son or your teenage daughter. So you might check that out and just see, man, would that work for what we need as far as basic theology basic Bible study skills, basic uh, survey of the Bible and how the whole Bible is put together. And and if you look at that and you have some feedback for me that can make that more valuable to me, man, feel free to let me know. I'm always looking to improve and just kind of, you know, kind of figuring things out as I go a little bit. So your feedback could be really helpful. So check that out, the Grow Your Faith Academy bundle on my, my website. I'll put the link to that down below in the notes as well so you can see that as well. All right, with that, let's jump back into Romans chapter 7. That's where we we left off, and we're working through this whole section of Romans 6, 7, and 8 because it's so powerful for us, our self-understanding, and for understanding how God has set us free from the power of sin. And today, as we begin with the paragraph we're going to look at in this episode, I want to ask a question. The question is this, is the Old Testament law bad? You know, I think uh, when you read through Romans and you pay attention, Paul's been saying some pretty negative things about the Old Testament and the Old Testament law in particular. Uh, in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, he said, Oh, no one's going to be put in a right relationship with God by, by the Old Testament law. A little bit later in 3.28, he said, It's by faith that being put in a right relationship happens, not by the Torah, not by the Old Testament law. In chapter 5, verse 20, 
Paul has said that the law actually came onto the scene of history so that transgressions could increase. Uh, in chapter 6, part of the section we're looking at, Paul said that sin's no longer master over you because you're no longer under the Torah. Like somehow being set free from the Torah also helps you be set free from sin. And then in the, the episode last week, we noticed what Paul says where he says that the law actually aroused sinful desires and it caused people to bear fruit for death. I mean, Paul has actually said some really negative things about the law. Not only does Paul say negative things about the law, I've heard plenty of Christians say uh, negative things about the law. Probably the most common thing I've heard Christians say is, oh, well, you know, praise God, we're, we're not under the Old Testament because it was just a bunch of legalistic rules and rituals, and now we don't have to do that. We're, we're free from all of that. Um... I've heard Christians say things like that. I've heard Christians, you know, just say, yeah, the Old Testament is just a bunch of rituals and rules and and uh, pretty much run the Old Testament down with that. And so it raises that question. Is the Old Testament law, is the Torah, the Old Testament law bad? And that's really the question that Paul's going to take up in this section that we're going to look at. Is, is the Old Testament law bad? And we noticed uh, through Romans 6, 7, and 8, Paul's playing question and answer. He's said these negative things about the law. He's said some things about us and sin and death. And so now his imaginary dialogue partner is asking him questions about some of the things he said, right? And we've been looking at the answers to those questions. Well, the question he takes up now is that very question. Is the Old Testament law bad? So beginning in Romans 7, 7, what we get is a full explanation of what's wrong with the law. And I would say that it's not what most Christians think is wrong with the law. And so let's, let's read what Paul actually says here. Romans chapter 7, verse 7 says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? There's the question. Is the law sin? Is it bad? Since the law somehow got tangled up, as we said in our last episode, with sin and death, since it stirred up sinful passions and desires and caused people to bear fruit for death. That would seem like the law is a bad thing. It's a sinful thing. But notice what Paul says. Is the law sin? May it never be, he says. In other words, the law itself isn't bad. On the contrary, he says, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. In other words, the law gave sin a name and gave sin a face, and the law caused me to actually understand what sin was. And so the law is not so much a problem. The law is pointing out the problem, and the problem is sin. And so he says, I, I, for example, I wouldn't have known about coveting if the law had said, you shall not covet, the tenth commandment of the ten commandments. You shall not covet. The law made that clear, and now it gave that desire that was at work within me, that feeling, that, right, it gave it a name, coveting. Now I knew what it was, and I understood it, and, and so that thing in me now that I had experienced prior to the law all of a sudden has a name, and all of a sudden has a face, and all of a sudden I know, oh, that's coveting. And that's wrong, and that's why it causes so much destruction and devastation when I do it. But, here's the problem. The law is somewhat good because it enunciates what sin is, but it's weak. And so verse 8 says, but sin, but sin, 
sin's the real problem, not the law, but sin taking opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. Uh, again, and this is similar to what he was saying last time, is that sin somehow took advantage of the law. The law named coveting. That commandment made it clear what, what the wrong thing was, but sin somehow in its power and its deceptiveness and its insidiousness, sin took opportunity, set up a base camp, and used that commandment and stirred up more and more coveting. Um, and so the law itself isn't the problem. The law was taken advantage of by sin itself. And he says this, For apart from the law, sin is dead. Now it's not 100% clear exactly what Paul means by apart from the law, sin is dead. Paul's already said earlier in Romans, in the end of chapter 5, that sin existed in the world before the law. So he doesn't mean that there was no sin prior to the law being given, right? It's, he doesn't mean that because he's already said the opposite of that. So what does he, he seem to mean? Well, I think what he means is, is that somehow, some way, the, uh, the commandment stirs up sinning and gives like sin extra life, more power. And psychology, psychologically and practically, I think we see that. We, we've experienced that. We've experienced it in ourselves. If we've raised kids, we've seen it in our kids, right? You give some, if you're a teacher and you have students, you've seen this with your students, we, we know how this works. You give somebody a rule and it's almost like it stirs up a desire to break that rule. Even if even if it's in subtle little ways, can we just kind of cut the corner? Can we just kind of do just a little bit? For some people, it's out-and-out -out rebellion, right? Like somehow um, the law spurs sin to life. That seems to be what, what Paul has in mind. He goes on in verse 9, and he, he says, I, and I think beginning with this sentence and in what follows, Paul is using I more in like the general sense. I, that is me as a human, us humans. I, to make it very personal and powerful how we all have experienced this, I was once alive apart from the law. When the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And that helps us see, I think, what he means, that somehow the commandment caused sin to come, come to life and spring it to life in us. And so... You see that in Genesis chapter 3 with the very first sin, the very first temptation. It's like God's command, don't eat from this tree, taken advantage of by the serpent who then uh, said, well, you know, and then tricks Eve and then she buys into his deception. Boom, all of a sudden there's this desire, well, it does look good and she eats. And somehow sin and all that's entailed in that gets uh inside of us and is so insidious that it stirs uh, it stirs new passions, sinful passions, even in the face of a command. Maybe not even even in face of the command, because of the command. That seems to be what Paul is saying, that this commandment, he says in verse 10, which was supposed to result in life. Notice that. 
This commandment, and he's using a specific example, you shall not covet, that's supposed to bring life. That's a good commandment. It's supposed to make life better. It's supposed to make us work right, is wise and smart and good and helpful, right? You shall not covet. That's a good thing. Coveting is a, a devastating thing, and we see the effects of it all over the place, right? Um, so this commandment, which was supposed to result in life, actually proved to result in death for me. Um, that's what he's dealing with. He's like, somehow sin took advantage of the law, the commandment, and we bore fruit for death. So this commandment is supposed to be a good thing, but it actually resulted in death. Is it the commandment's fault? Is it because the commandment's wrong? Is it because the commandment is bad? Well, no. Um, it's because sin. And so, again, he restates in verse 11, for sin taking opportunity through the commandment. Sin, that setting up base camp is kind of the idea of taking an opportunity through the commandment. It, it, it set up camp, took that commandment, and twisted that commandment and used it for its advantage. So sin deceived me, and through the commandment, it killed me. It brought death to me. So the real criminal, the real culprit in all of this, is sin and sin in me, and sin, uh, sinful desires within me, which were spurred on and stirred up by the commandment. The real culprit isn't the commandment, it's sin. And thus Paul concludes this paragraph here by saying, so then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. And so in answer to his question, is the law bad? Is the law sin? Paul says, no. The law is holy. It's set apart by God and for God. And it, it tells us good things. The commandment's holy and right, righteous, and good, like good and wise. It's good for us. It's telling us the good thing. The problem isn't the commandment. The problem isn't the law. The problem is sin in me. So the law is not a bad thing. Nevertheless, it brought about my death. It brought about uh, Paul's death. It brought about mankind's death. So the commandment is good, but we are not good. And that's Paul's point. In fact, that's where he's going to go in the next paragraph that we'll look at in the next episode. But for, for today in this episode, I want to reflect on some of the things that Paul has said so that we understand really his point and why he's saying some of the things he's saying. Um, and I want to do that by highlighting a quote from Tim Keller. Tim Keller is famous for saying in various ways, in various places, in various times, saying something along these lines, that um, the beauty of the gospel is this, that it points out that I am more sinful and more flawed than I ever imagined, but at the same time, I'm more loved and accepted than I could ever have dreamed of. Just hear that. Listen to what he's saying. That the, the gospel means you are more sinful and more flawed than you, you ever could have imagined. But at the same time, you are more loved and you're more accepted than you ever could have dreamed of. That's, that's the heartbeat of the gospel. And that's really directly related to what Paul is saying in this section of Romans. Um, God gave good commands right? Thou shalt not covet is a good command. He gave good commands. Uh, he gave the Old Testament law, which is 
which is wise and right and good, as Paul says in this section. He, he gave the Old Testament law that is praised in the Psalms. Um, Psalm chapter 1, right? How blessed is the man who, who uh, you know, doesn't listen to the advice of the world around him, but who, whose delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. He's going to be like a tree that flourishes and, and bears its proper fruit. The law is a good thing. Now you read Psalm 19, Psalm 119, and you see this, that the law is holy and righteous and good. Um, and so God gave a good law, a right law that, that was supposed to result in life for me and life for you, but it didn't. Why? Well, not because the law is bad, but because I'm bad. And see, the gospel makes it possible for us to be honest about that, that sin gets inside of me, and sin is so insidious and so evil and so deceptive, it can take a good thing like God's good, righteous, holy commands and twist them and use them in a wrong sort of way, use them in a bad sort of way, or stir up sinful desires in me. And so, um, the law is good. It's holy and righteous and good, but I am not. And so, I'm able to admit, because of the grace of God and the gospel, man, I'm more sinful and flawed than, than I'll probably ever know. I'm more sinful and flawed than I could have ever imagined. And uh, I've got more weakness and brokenness in me than I care to admit. I've got more, more wrong in me than, than I ever dreamed possible. And yet, and yet God loves me and God welcomes me. And, and he doesn't do so by making me, you know, grovel and, and, go through all this rigmarole in order to connect with him, he comes to me in the person of Jesus to rescue and redeem me from the curse of the law, as Paul says in Galatians chapter 3. And so, yes, uh, the law brought a curse, and yes, the law brought death. It did so not because it's unwise or because its commands are bad. It did so because I am more sinful and flawed than I ever could have imagined, but at the same time, I'm more loved and accepted than I ever could have hoped for. And praise God for that in Jesus. And so as we think about the Old Testament law, we need to make sure, like Paul, we can keep it balanced and we can keep it in its proper place. And we don't run the law down as just this awful, bad set of legalistic rules and rituals. Please don't do that. That's never what Paul believed. Paul just believed uh, the law was a good thing, but he kept it in its place by saying it was a temporary thing and it was a failed thing, not because of its problem, but because of our problem. And it couldn't give uh, fallen, broken, sinful human beings the kind of life necessary in order to live for God. And so in the following paragraph of Romans chapter 7, a very familiar paragraph, that's where he's going to go. And we need to make sure we hear it in context um, as we, we read back through it. And so we'll turn to that in our next episode. Hey, once again, thanks for joining me on The Bible and Life. I appreciate each and every one of you. I appreciate your desire to grow in your faith, to walk with God. And so may you continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ as you walk with him. 
And I pray that the Bible in Life is helpful to you as you do that. Uh, if there's anything I can do for you, if you have any Bible questions I can answer, feel free to reach out to me. I would love to connect and love to uh, help you in any way I can. And as always, pray for the Bible in Life. Pray for, for the people who could be encouraged and built up by it to, to find it. Share it with your friends. Share it with your family. Share it on social media, however you can. And if you're able to, support the show, either by becoming a patron through my Patreon page or donating to your World Family Mission so that I can continue to make these resources to build up God's people and to strengthen your faith. So thanks for being a part of the Bible and Life family. God bless you guys, and we will talk to you soon on the next episode. God bless.